You may be seated. Thank you very much for your singing, for your worship. I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, we are continuing our series through the Psalms. And um, we have not come to the very first Psalm. Um, This great book, some would argue the greatest book in the Old Testament, the greatest book for the people of Israel is the Psalms because it's an instruction book on how to live it's not just a hymnal, it's, a, it's an instruction book. And Psalm chapter 1 starts out with this word, blessed. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Happy. Are you happy? I hope you are. Uh, we're going to learn about that today. Here's what Psalm 1 has to say. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish happiness, blessedness. Real quickly, there are two points, there are two pictures, and there's a person. Two points, two pictures, and a person. First of all, being blessed is possible. That is a huge statement. That's the way the psalmist starts out. Blessed is the man. And right away, it's a kind of test to see where we are. Because if you will go back to maybe when you were young, um, when you're younger, or if you pull aside a kid, uh, you know, a couple weeks at VBS, and you talk to them about happiness, it is easy to understand that when you're young, you think happiness is natural. Happiness is just something that is. It's just what should be. Uh, and unless there's some weird thing going on, most kids are happy, right? But the older we get, is this true for you? The older we get, the more informed that we are we start to believe that happiness is more and more an elusive thing. We believe that it's not natural, and that leads us to try to chase after it and to try to do things so that we can attain happiness. And one man said it's a dead end. He said this, consumption is like a drug. The more you consume, the more you need the next high. I've watched many of my peers buy their happiness with more exotic experiences and more amazing stuff, but it doesn't work. He says, many up in, end up entitled, demanding, anxious, alcoholic, and or depressed. They have already been there and done that, but they still have 30 years left to live, and whatever they chased after, it did not make them happier. See, when we get on this hamster wheel and we begin to chase happiness, it's elusive and it It escapes us. And when people don't find the happiness that they're after, after they chase it for a while, then the tendency is to become cynical about happiness. And we become cynical that anyone can be happy. And I think this is the idea that Ernest Hemingway was after. He saw this as becoming intelligent. Uh, He has this quote. He says, happiness in intelligent people is the rarest thing I know. And I take him to mean this. Intelligence means that we've lived a little life. 
Young kids don't really know about how the real world works. That's right. That's what we tell them. We see somebody and we just say, oh, just wait until you get out in the real world, right? Intelligent people have been down the road a little bit. And for some who have been down the road and they've chased after happiness, but they've never found it, the final verdict is usually happiness isn't even attainable, and so don't waste your time. And so for the psalmist to start out this great book with this first word, blessed happiness is possible. And for some of you in this room who have been chasing after it, that's huge. For the first time in a long time, that's hope right? Blessed is possible. Not only that, blessed is the goal. Blessed is the goal. The first word of the entire book of Psalms is this word, blessed. We could also use the word happy. And we have to ask the question, why this one? Why this word? Surely in the life of a person who is trying to follow after God, surely there's a more important word that we could come up with. Surely righteousness should be in there. Maybe righteous, righteous, or obedient, maybe obedient, or how about loving, but, but blessed, merely happy? I mean, that's, that's what we get, and make no mistake, those things that I mentioned are absolutely important, righteousness, obedience, being loving, but those are the means, they're not the end. The end, God's ultimate goal for his people is this word, blessing. And a lot of those things, righteousness and obedience and loving, are how we get to the point of being blessed. God's ultimate goal from first creation to his final redemption is blessedness. In Genesis chapter 1, he creates, he creates, it's good, it's good. He creates man and male and female, and he says, blessed, you are blessed, go out and be fruitful and multiply. In the very last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation we read this, blessed is the one who keeps the words in this book, blessed. Here in the middle, blessed is the man from beginning, start, end. It's all about God's blessing for us. Now, that's not the current message that you get about God, is it? In our culture, what do people say about God? Oh, he's this, this mean, evil-fisted person, and I can't believe in a God like that. Maybe, maybe I don't either. The psalmist sure doesn't. Blessed is the goal. The word is asrei. It means blessed, and it means well-being in every area of life. Jesus uses this same word in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Greek version of it, makarios, but he says, happy, blessed, are the poor in spirit. Blessed, happy are those who mourn. Happy are the, are the meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The goal, even for Jesus, is that we would be blessed. And being blessed means that I have a life of delight and fruitfulness with a sense of worth and purpose. Happiness is the best word to put on that. And that is the long-term plan, and the psalmist celebrates this with the very first word of the book, blessed is the man. Now, our first problem, our first roadblock to being blessed people is that we have been tricked. We have been tricked into redefining what is good. 
And who, who have we been tricked by it, the psalmist tells us, by the wicked, by the sinners, by the scoffers? We listen to the voices of those who have no interest in God, and we let them sometimes tell us the way to be happy. And these are people who aren't particularly atheistic or malicious against God. They just don't consider him when they're living life. And so when it comes to happiness and asking a question, how, how does a person become happy? They answer as if they don't consider God because they don't. Here's a blog. Uh, people were asked, what makes you happy? Okay. And these are just people, run-of-the-mill people that we meet anywhere in the United States. And here's some of the answers. What makes you happy? Number one, my wife got a job interview. That's awesome. What if she doesn't get the job? Are you still going to be happy? Two, focusing on the great things in my life. That what makes, that's what makes me happy. Focusing on the great things in life. And do you see what's happening here? We're ignoring the bad things that happen in life. And as long as we're successful at ignoring the bad things, then we can be happy. Number three, running makes me happy. There are three of you in here, right? The rest of us want to punch a wall. Uh, Next one, me time. There are kids involved in that answer, right? And me time is not going to last Here's one that will pop up whenever you ask normal people about what makes you happy. Beer and pizza. Uh, Here's another one. Coffee and bandwidth, which in my opinion is just a more enlightened version of beer and pizza. Okay, next one. Uh, Sailing last weekend and laying on the beach this weekend. Um, Is there a pattern there? It's happiness is on the weekends, right? You know... That sounds like a good topic for a country artist to explore. I don't think there are any country songs about that. That's probably one that should be exploited. There's probably money to be made if somebody would just write a song about that issue. I can't remember the last time I was truly happy. Anybody there? The next one, grilled cheese for dinner. Yeah, grilled cheese for dinner. Um, How many of you love grilled cheese? How many of you love it for a month straight? Not so much, right? Two, two people. (laughs) The last one. I'm going to fight my eating disorder and kick it, and then I'll be free and happy. Now, maybe, maybe you don't have that issue, but you've had that thought, right? If I could just get through this, if I could just get over this hump, if I could just reach that point, if I could just get this through this current thing, then, then I could be happy. And these are all common voices that we hear. They are voices that do not consider God, and they are voices that believe that happiness is a mysterious cocktail of the right stuff and the right circumstances and enough of the right decisions and the right pleasures and the right amount of wealth right? And when those things don't deliver in the long term, as great as grilled cheese is, it won't bring happiness in the long term. And that's when we begin to get skeptical. We listen to the voice, these voices, and we try that, and it doesn't happen, and we begin to be skeptical that happiness is even possible. But the psalmist brings us back and says, blessedness is possible. 
Blessedness is the goal. Both of those things. And our first step to have a chance to find happiness is to reject those voices that we hear. Blessed is the man who does not walk or sit or stand in the counsel of wicked sinners and scoffers. So, who do we listen to? Where do we find the way to happiness? And we're given two great pictures. The psalmist gives us great pictures. The first is the picture of blessedness. It's a picture of the tree, right? Verse 3, what does it say? It says that this tree is planted by streams of water. It yields fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And the blessed man is like this tree. Four things really quickly about this tree. Number one, it's planted. What does that tell you? tells you that there's purpose behind the tree. It's not there on accident. Somebody made a way for the tree. It, they cared for the tree. They provided for the tree. They nurtured the tree. They grew it. They pruned it. They fertilized it. They did everything that was necessary for the tree to be blessed, to have well-being in every area of life. It's not only planted, but where is it planted? By streams, streams of water. It's planted by the streams of water. It's connected to something outside itself. Happiness is not manufactured by the tree. It is gained from outside, and it is a gift to the tree. The tree is rooted in the soil, and it stretches out, and it receives the water that it's given. And because of this gift, it can handle dry seasons. It doesn't matter what the, the heat is like. It doesn't matter what the weather is like, whether there's lots of rain or lack of rain. It does not need those because it's connected to this life-giving stream. Number three, it bears fruit in season. What does that tell you? It tells us that there are also times that there are, there's no fruit. There's times of unfruitfulness. Winter comes for this tree, and the seasons are cyclical. Sometimes it bears fruit. Sometimes it doesn't. But that's to be expected. Now, if a blessed man is like this tree, and we are talking really about happiness and about being blessed, isn't that realistic? In your life, are there times of great fruitfulness and then inevitably they're followed by times of winter, right? Bitter cold, and it doesn't seem much it, like much is going on. But even then, even then there is growth. Even the winter, the roots are getting deeper and thicker. And when the fruit does come back, it's bigger and it's fuller and it's better. Number four, the leaf doesn't wither, doesn't wither. Some commentators uh, say that this means it's an evergreen. Um, if you uh, have a conversation with Kelly Toll about that, she will tell you uh, absolutely not. Uh, so you'll have to talk to her about whether this tree is an evergreen or not. But the point is that its leaf doesn't wither. It never dies. It's constantly being renewed because of the source of life that it's tapped into. And at, at the end of the day, this picture of the tree, here's what we need to take away. Circumstances do not matter for the tree. Instead of being affected by the environment around it, the tree affects its environment because of the stream that it knows. And the psalmist says, the blessed man is like this tree and everything he does prospers. Everything he does prospers. The other picture is an opposite picture. It's an opposing picture to help us to understand 
blessedness. The opposite picture is a picture of chaff. Here's what uh, verse 4 says. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, uh, if you were a farmer in this day and age, um, you, and you were involved in wheat threshing, um, the chaff is what's blown away when you're trying to separate the grain from the outer shell. Okay? And so the chaff is the outer shell. This is a very modern farmer very, using very ancient techniques, right? Throwing uh, the grain up and the wind takes the chaff away and the grain falls because it's heavier and they collect the grain and the chaff gets blown away. Now, the psalmist says, unlike the tree, the wicked are like chaff. Unlike the tree, the chaff has no roots. It has no stability. It is blown around at every wind, and it is blown around because it is only an empty shell, and that implies that there's a superficiality to it. There's a hollowness to it. There's no substance to it. There's nothing at all inside. For the chaff, it's all about externals. But there's no fruit. It has no ability to produce anything. It is utterly useless. It is worthless. And because of this, it's temporary. And its end is disintegration. It is blown away into nothingness and it will perish. That's what the psalmist says. It is quite the opposite of the tree, right? With the tree, circumstances don't matter. And if we pull back at the end of the day for the chaff, here's what we need to take away. With the chaff, the circumstance is the only thing that matters. Because it is the only thing that will cause anything to happen. But what it will cause is the end of the chaff. The chaff is totally affected by the environment and the end, it is crushed by it as well. Now, it's not really hard, right? When you have those two pictures, a picture of a tree, a picture of a chaff, of chaff to decide that being the tree would put you in a better position from which to navigate life. And so the question is, what determines? What determines whether I'm a tree or whether I'm chaff? And the answer is in verse 2. Verse 2, what does it say? It says, but his, the man, the, man, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and Night And the two key phrases I've kind of made bigger on the screen for you uh, are this word delight and the word law of the Lord. And this is poetry, right? And so there's some connecting of the dots we need to do. In the picture of the tree, it was what was the external factor that determined the blessedness of the tree? It was the stream, right? And here in verse 2, the external factor, the outside source is what? It is the law of the Lord. And so, just like the stream gives blessedness to the tree, the law of the Lord is what makes the man blessed. It's what makes him full of delight. It's what makes him fruitful, worth something, and with a purpose. It's what makes him happy. Okay? And so, when we think of the law of the Lord, what do you think of? What's the first thing you think of when you think the law of the Lord? Anyone? Leviticus comes to mind. Generic word, scripture maybe, okay? Um, specifically, I would think uh, of God's rules of living, right? And all throughout the Bible, we get 
these rules. Do this, don't do this, the law of the Lord. Um, delight means that I would love those words, right? That I would love the words of Scripture, the laws, the rules. And so I could say this, and it's absolutely right. The key to being blessed, like a tree by water, is that we're constantly in God's word and loving God's laws enough that we keep them. Okay? And there is absolutely truth in that statement. If I take God's words in his book and I live by them, I am better off. How many of you, because you have taken God's words and tried to live by them, are better off financially? Anyone in the room? How many of you, because you have taken God's words and tried to live with them and by them, are better off in your marriage? How many of you are better off relationally? You're a better parent. You're a better employee. You're a better employer. How many of you are not in jail? You don't have debt. You don't have any STDs. You don't have any addictions. You don't have any regrets. You don't have any guilt. You don't have anything keeping you up at night because you have read the books, you've read the laws, and you've tried to live by them, right? Those all lend to a happy life. And so we could say the first step to being happy is don't kill anyone, right? True, yes. However, however, that being said, that cannot be the final answer. That cannot be the final answer. That's expected. You expect to hear, read more, do more, and then we sing this song. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, on the first level, that's absolutely true. On another, on another level, that cannot be the final answer. Why? Because there's a question that I have to ask you. And there's a problem with only saying, just read more scripture and you'll be happy. Just, just obey the laws and you'll be happy. And here's the question. Don't answer it without thinking it through. Okay? Here's the question. When the psalmist says, his delight is in the law of the Lord... The question is, can you really delight in the law of the Lord? Can you really delight in the laws of the Lord? Let's just take three of them. Let's take the last three. You know, in Exodus chapter 20, there are ten. There's a list of ten, right? Let's take the last three. What's number eight? Anybody know? Stealing. What's number nine? Bearing false witness. Don't lie. Okay, what's number 10? Coveting. Don't look at your neighbor and want his house or his car or his spouse. Okay, so don't steal, don't lie, don't be jealous of somebody else's stuff. How are you doing? Anybody kept number eight? I don't see any hands. Anybody kept number nine? Anybody kept number 10? Nobody. I don't see anybody, me neither. We're worse off when Jesus gets a hold of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Jesus gets a hold of the Ten Commandments, and he has this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It's the one I referred to earlier, where in the beginning he says, bless, happy. And what he does is he just meditates on, this, on the Ten Commandments. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. And when he comes to these laws, he says, you know what? 
it's not just the law that you're guilty of. It's not just breaking the law that you're guilty of. But if you've even had the thought in your heart of breaking the law, then you are guilty of breaking the law. Are you kidding me? So maybe you've never stolen anything, but if you thought about stealing, then you're guilty. Maybe you've never lied, but you've thought about it. You're guilty. Maybe you've never committed murder, Jesus says. But if you've said to your neighbor, you fool, you idiot, you are guilty of murder. Maybe you've never committed adultery. Maybe you've never crossed that line. But in your mind, you've thought about it. You're guilty. You're guilty. Here's the question again. Can you delight in that? Answer? Not if you're honest. Because none of us can keep the law. There is no delight to be found in something that points out the problem but offers no solution. And that's the essence of the law. It points out the problem, but it does not offer you a solution. It's like a flashlight. You're stuck on the side of the road uh, in the middle of the night, and you pop the hood up, and you don't know what's going on, why your car stalled out. You get the flashlight out, right? You turn the flashlight on. You look in the engine. Ah, there's a belt. It's gone. The belt is shredded. And you get back in your car and you're happy and you cruise on. No, that's not the way it works. The flashlight only points out the problem. It doesn't solve it, right? You've got to get some tools for that. You've got to get a new belt for that. You've got you to do a lot more work than just exposing the problem. And the law is like that. That's the essence of the law. It tells you your problem, but it does not offer a solution. In the end, all it can say is you're guilty and nothing else. God's rules and laws crush us at the end of the day. And this is not a new thought. This is not some weird thing that Dusty's coming up with. Paul, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, talks about this idea. He says, for I want in my mind to delight in the law. And I think Psalm 1 is in his mind. The blessed man delights in the law. I want to do that. I want to delight in the law of God in my inner being. But, but... I see in my members another law waging against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Isn't that great prose? That's awesome. What wretched people we are. We're stuck. We want to delight in God's law. We know it's the key to happiness, but at the end of the day, we cannot keep it to the extent we need to. What's the answer? It's the same as Paul's answer. The very next line, he says, but thanks be to God through his son, Jesus Christ. And his very next words are a very famous scripture that you've all heard before. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Even though the law says we're guilty, there is another voice that speaks. So let's go back to Psalm chapter 1. When the psalmist says, his delight is on the law of the Lord. Some of you in your footnotes have a little uh, footnote in your Bible, and it will say, in place of the law of the Lord, you could substitute instruction. Instruction. And that's absolutely true. Because what the delight in here is not just the Ten Commandments. It's not just do this, do that. But it's the entirety of Scripture. And 
is there, in the entirety of Scripture, is there one place to which the entire instruction of God points? The answer is yes. Is there one who said, I've not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to keep it. That's also in the Sermon on the Mount. When Augustine came to Psalm chapter 1, he read down through it. And he said, he said, there's no way. There's no way to be this blessed man. The blessed man is no one if it isn't Jesus. He's the only one that can be blessed. And if we carry that thought on out, it fits perfectly. It's not a stretch to see Jesus throughout all of Psalm 1. Jesus is the man who is blessed. Jesus is the one who has come incarnate into the world of sinners in flesh, dwelling among us, but he did not join in our sin. He didn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He didn't stand in the way of sinners. He never bought into the scoffing voices. Jesus is that tree planted by water, drawing life from his Father. Jesus is fruitful, never withering, even in the season of death. He didn't wither, right? Jesus is the righteous one known by God, verse 5. None of us is righteous enough, but Jesus is, and he is known by God, and he alone can stand in the assembly of the righteous. He is the only one who truly delighted and kept God's law perfectly day and night. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is attributed to Jesus. And in Psalm 40, we read these words, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. Those are the words of Jesus. This psalm is a messianic psalm. It's pointing to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one who's delighted to do your will. Your law is within my heart. Jesus is the only one who, who ever truly delighted in God's law because he kept it. All of the commandments, all of the thoughts that lead to breaking them, he kept. And the Hebrews writer goes on in verse 10 in, of chapter 10. It is by that will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In Psalm 1, when we read these words, blessed is the man. When we read that happiness is delighting in God's direction of our ways, we have to understand that Jesus is the only one who did this absolutely. Right? The only way I can really delight in the law of the Lord is to know that Jesus has kept the law of the Lord for me when I couldn't keep it myself. He has paid my debt through his personal delight of God's law, his keeping of it, his righteousness. And because of that, he is known by God. In Psalm 1, there are two paths, there are two kinds of people, there are two pictures, right? two paths. There's a blessed path and there's a perishing path. There's two kinds of people. There's righteous people. There's wicked people. There are two pictures. Picture of a tree, picture of chaff. And here's the reminder that I gave to you at the beginning. Blessedness, being happy, is not only possible, but it is the goal for you. It is the will of God for you and for, you, for me. But the, the only way to get there is through Jesus. And his delight in God's law. 
We probably should have passed out name tags today uh, because every one of us is going to leave here with a label. You know those name tags at conferences, they make you sign something. What's the very first word of the psalm? You've been paying attention, thank you. Blessed. Look at the very last word of the psalm. What is it? Anyone? Shout it out. Perish. Perish. We will leave these doors with one of those two words on our label today. Are we blessed or perish? Is that on our label? The path to blessedness, to happiness, is being known by God through the work of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that being blessed means that Jesus has paid for me. Happiness is found not in my ability to do more or to do better or to do different. Happiness is because Jesus has already done more and different and better. Father, would you help us to understand today that Jesus has already done enough to pay our penalty? And when we understand that, that's a delight. That's a delight both day and night, and not 10, not 15, not 30 minutes of Bible study is enough to celebrate the great gift that we have been given in Jesus. Father, if there's somebody here that has not known the delight of the law of the Lord, would you steer them to Christ today? And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? I want to put a quote in front of you from Charles Spurgeon. And uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, Has Christ put away your sin? If he has, if Christ has put away your sin, be as happy as the days are long in the sweet summertime and be as bright as a garden in the month of June and sing like angels, for you have more to sing about than angels have. Are you happy today in Jesus? I hope so. If you're not, this invitation is for you. You can move from perishing to blessed. You come as we sing.